0: Hello and welcome back to the show. Today's episode is with the Insta famous and somewhat anonymous man behind Board Porn. Board Porn is primarily an Instagram account that showcases surfboards in all their curvy splendor, in nearly all their variations of shapes, sizes, construction materials. There seems to be no exclusivity nor preference for style. It's just a completely all-encompassing place for all creeds of surfboards. Ron Shine is the man's name who created the account, which currently has 181,000 followers. He's also been recently incorporating surf memes, which I totally appreciate. But before we get to Ron, I'm going to introduce you to Ed Thompson. Ed, along with his partner Julian Rubinet, sent me their coffee table book in March of 2018. It's called Ice Cream Headaches, Surf Culture in New York and New Jersey. The book's an intimate portrait of surfers in those northeastern states, and I was charmed to see a few friends of mine in the book and a few personalities that I had heard of but never met. It's a great book, and I've actually read through it multiple times at this point, and it even inspired me to record podcasts with some of the people that they profiled. So I was in New York just for a very brief 48 hours trying to squeeze in a bunch of recording, And I was hanging out with Tyler Brewer of Swell Season Radio slash podcast. He and Ed are friends, so he invited Ed to join us for pizza one night so so that we could finally meet in person. And I'd been meaning to connect with Ed and Julian to discuss their book, discuss expanding some of those stories into podcast profiles, but I didn't have enough time on this trip. But I still wanted to introduce you, the listener, to their project, So I invited Ed to come up and sit in with Ron and I for a few minutes. So the first 10 minutes of this episode will be with Ed Thompson, and then we'll transition over to Ron from Board Porn to discuss how he went from an anonymous surfboard hoarder to running one of surfing's best-known Instagram accounts, the influence that he's developed, the freebies that he receives, the responsibilities tied to all of that. And we also have a discussion about just the current kind of importing surfboards into the u.s debate so all of that right here in a new york edition of surf splendor my name is david scales i hope that you enjoy the show i'll be back at the end to sign us off
1: thanks I'm Ed Thompson, um, and I have lived in New York for the last six years. I'm originally from a town called High Wycombe, which is just to the west of London. I am 33, 32. I'm 32. I will be 33. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I'm the uh, the author of a book called Ice Cream Headaches, which was a collaborative project with a good friend of mine who's a photographer, Julian Rubinet.
0: Awesome. Um, And what is that project? Like, I mean, I know what it is. I'm curious, what was it about this local community
1: that inspired you to write it, to make the book? Sure. Um, Well, I think Julian and I had both arrived in New York fairly recently when we met, and we met through surfing in Rockaway. Um, A mutual friend just introduced us, and we, you know, we went surfing a few times together, Um, I saw the kind of photography he was producing and I really liked it. He was kind of at the beginning of his career as a photographer. And um, I kind of had this idea that like I wanted to learn, I wanted to make surfing as a bigger part of my experience of being in New York as I could. Um, I found out that there was surf here like just before I came and I packed a board like at the last minute and arrived at this board just like hoping that I'd be able to figure out how the surf worked. Um, and Julian was kind of in the same position, like he, he was like wanting to just make surfing as much a part of his experience as he could. And so I said to him one day, like, Hey, why don't we make a book about the surf culture in this area and just kind of use that as a way of learning as much as we can about it. It'll give us like a good excuse to like travel to the different spots, like figure out how different spots work, meet people who are part of the community, um, just understand it and then hopefully at the end of it I mean both of us love kind of photography and and print media both of us kind of huge magazine enthusiasts and just like um kind of love that more tactile product and so we just had this idea to make a book from the beginning and then kind of to my surprise Julian just said like yeah let's do it and I was like oh right we have to actually do this now we've got to actually make it happen um and it took about three years of kind of the traveling and research and interviewing people and and meeting people and a lot of like set up times and then cancel times and swells that kind of worked or didn't work. And um, every person we met sort of connected us with the next person in the chain kind of thing. Um, We'd like, we did our own research about who we thought was going to be interesting to talk to. And we wanted to talk to the people who were kind of, I don't know like had some <clears throat> people who'd kind of like created something or done something that made them more than just like a surfer in new york you know like or new jersey um people who maybe were on the creative side or who were noted surfers or who you know were professionals or um, artists shapers uh, you know all sorts of kind of interesting characters just we lot after like people who would have something to say um <clears throat> and then we as we asked people we started hearing the same names come up and again and again and then we would be like okay well this person seems like really interesting let's try and interview them you know i hope not to offend anybody who's listening to this
0: by saying this but i felt like just from receiving the book and reading it that you guys were well ingrained in the surf community um and i didn't know either of your backstories prior to receiving the book. So I just kind of read it, not knowing any of the background, and it felt like you had been a part of the surf community and that you were actually um, representing it from within. So,
1: ah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, <clears throat> and I mean that's kind of you to say. I think like we we felt that being outsiders because also Julian is from France. He grew up in Toulouse, and his he. Spent time in the ocean and uh, he'd, he'd done a lot of skating and, and so on, but he'd not really been super exposed to surfing before he got here. And this is like when he came to New York is when he kind of started doing it. Uh, he's now annoyingly way better than me because <laughs> <laughs> he had the skate kind of skill set. So, um, but yeah, we were both like coming at this as outsiders and at first we thought that would be a disadvantage because we thought like no one's going to care who we are or no one's going to like answer the phone or, or say like they're up for meeting. Um and why would they uh, but then we as we kind of like got further into it we sort of realized that people tend to have like a sort of point of view about their little niche within the surf world like oh this is the coolest spot or like this, this, these are the coolest waves or these guys are the ones who are really interesting or these guys are the make the best boards or whatever and we were kind of coming at it more from a just like well as an outsider looking in what seems interesting like where is there actually like a kind of kernel of something interesting going on and not having a point of view about like, oh, this spot's better than this spot or whatever. So it came to feel like more of an advantage, but I'm flattered that you think that like, we seemed like we know what we're talking about because we didn't feel like that. (laughs) Well, just by thumbing through it initially for the first time, like it felt like an
0: intimate portraiture and you don't get access unless you're a part of the community, I think is what it is. Um, And I guess, The other detail is like, I haven't really seen the whole New York surf scene coalesced in one package before, like there are individual, maybe a retail store, and they're pushing certain things for their own brand, and a surfboard shaper is pushing things for their own brand, and maybe a clothing company as well, but they don't integrate all of the elements together because they have their own professional interests this was one of the most comprehensive versions of something I've seen that really showcased all of the New York community at once, you know?
1: Oh, thank you. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and New Jersey, I think everyone, <clears throat> you know, it gravitates towards the New York side of things just cause of New York, but we, we really wanted to include as much of New Jersey as we could. And we tried to include, it was easier to do the more Northern parts of it cause we could just get there easily. Um, but you know um we went all the way down to like the very southern tip of new jersey to interview maddie peterson um and you know we tried as as far as we could just like cover the range but it turns out like there's a lot of surf culture here it's not just like this one person here it's like the whole way down the jersey coast there's just like great waves when it's on it's it's like really good um so it was nice to be able to kind of in some ways bring that together and say like, this is a, a, a sort of like set of people that's like working in similar conditions and, and has the same crazy passion to just like get on, you know, go and surf in the winter and, and make it happen when it's like the conditions, most people would just be like, no, thank you. Like, right. it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say no thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, what was the model? Like, did
0: you guys finance it? Did you find a publisher? Did you build the book yourself? How did that all work?
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, we, again like from the beginning sort of had an idea that we we wanted to do it like sort of right we wanted to sort of do it the traditional way and um it turns out that the publishing industry is just like it really isn't what it once was and we had to settle for a a bit of a compromise in terms of like um when we found we found a fantastic publisher Damiani Editori. they're based in Italy um I must have pitched like a hundred publishers um I sent so many emails and we just you know it's like a lot of you know publishing companies that have got even surf titles that are like coffee table style books, they're still just like you're doing such a small area that it's just like it's not going to have that mass appeal. We you know wanted to work with a publisher that got that like kind of by looking at this like smaller scene, we were sort of exploring something more universal. And like Damiani really understood that. But we did have to like, <clears throat> we kind of had to like co-finance the production side of it with them. So we did a kind of pre-sale campaign um, through Indiegogo and we sold about uh, 400 copies, which was enough for us to like buy our share of books from the publisher enough for them to then like they print like, um, I think they printed two and a half thousand copies of it. Um, so it's a really small production run and we have like a tiny like number of limited edition ones. There's like 25 um that we just kind of like kept they come with a print and a, um, a special like acrylic hardcover. So cool. So it was like a really small um, run. And yeah, they, I think we were probably like their biggest nightmare for a customer to work with because we were pretty like, oh, we want this to be like this, we want this to be like this. And our designer was very like, you know, wanted it just so, which was how we wanted it. But um, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a really like incredible process to go through. It takes tons of revisions, tons of like you know, back and forth, sending proofs back to Italy and back to the FedEx fees for that were just crazy. It's like, okay, this is what it takes to make a book. It's a, it's not easy. <laughs> the final products, great. Turned Thank you. Out great. That's really kind of you to say. Thank you. You're
0: welcome. Uh, how do people purchase? Where would you prefer that they purchase?
1: Well, so we have actually, um, we do have a, a website um, that people can check out like more of the project, but the best place to buy it right now is Amazon because it's literally, like much cheaper than buying it from us so uh buy it from amazon by all means um and uh save yourself some, some money but if you want a print or a t-shirt or something like that you can buy it from our website and that's um ice cream perfect thanks so much ed cool thank you so much no um, worries I, I really appreciate you making space for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> gladly kind of gladly um cool all right Thank you. I was looking while you're talking. I knew I promoted it back then <laughs> when it was going on, and yeah.
2: had to search it out. Yeah, back that was November eighth, twenty
1: seventeen. Yeah. Thank you for that. that yeah. So yeah, well, I got to meet Julian through Joe. Uh, like we got some orders from that for sure. I got like, to meet Julian right.
2: through Joe Falcone, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is our I think our first time meeting. I think yeah, something Yeah, so first first I'm meeting, meeting. yeah. I'm sure we probably um, crossed paths
1: somewhere. We've probably served yeah. <laughs> I've never dropped in on you. That's, like, that's the one thing I hope. I've never dropped in. Uh, everybody drops in on me. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, I'm also a huge fan of uh, what you've done. I think it's like a really rad project.
2: Oh, but, it keeps me sane.
1: Yeah, it adds a lot of value to the community here. I think people appreciate it. So, oh, well,
2: thank you, that's Thank you.
0: Hundred and seventy-nine thousand followers.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. That
0: will sell it's... some books, I would imagine.
2: Well, it was probably less than. Oh, okay. <laughs> a fair bit less than, but... Uh, yeah.
0: When did you launch Boardpoint?
2: Board? Uh, so, it was launched... I wanna see, I'm trying to remember now. I think it was 2013. Uh, I'll have to check next time an anniversary comes along on it, because I get a reminder on my phone, but I don't remember when it was. But it had to be around 2013. And it was... I, I could tell you I was on... I was leaving for Puerto Rico in like two days, you know, just heading out for a surf vacation. And... I had just gotten a new board in and i took a photo of it and i was like i'm gonna start a surfboard account because i started getting like getting new boards was kind of my thing at that point and it just sort of took off from there i tagged a shaper and the next thing i know i'm um, being followed by a few shapers and then somebody would send me a board and say hey can you post this and in the beginning i was you know just getting a few solicitations by shapers and then it, it just kind of took a life of its own and it became like a full-time hobby as they on forward. So. What was that first post? What was the board? It's kind of funny because it wasn't what you would think of, you know, for a site that a lot of what I focuses is on is outside of the box things, things that it's really ultimately what appeals to me. Um, you know, it's, I'm not a tastemaker. I'm not a, <laughs> not somebody who has the, you know, uh, final say on what should or shouldn't be the Board of the moment, but I, you know, my mood changes all the time. Um, and that going back to that first board, it was a lip tech, it was a lip tech that I saw I bought sight on scene. It was around the time that they came out, which was again uh, would have been 2012, 2013, and ordered one uh, directly from I guess Oregon uh, or, or Washington State, wherever they're one like. of those, yeah Yeah, and it came and I took a picture of it, and that, that was the start of what this has become. Um, prior
0: to launching that, did you have any connection to the surf industry?
2: I did. I wrote for a number of uh, online blogs, uh, surf blogs. And as a result of working in Midtown Manhattan, a lot of everybody from the surf industry, uh, not not as much from the board building industry, but from the pro surf industry and, and the big brands comes through New York or has assets in New York. And so whenever one of the traveling pros would come through, I'd get to interview them. I'd get, you know, the people that were running the different blogs would say, so Kelly's in town, Andy's in town, Um, Alana Blanchard's in town. And I'd get to go over and and basically sit down for an hour with them and do an interview. That would then go uh, get typed up and popped on a blog. And I did not know that. Yeah. What what blogs are we talking about? um, So it started with Daily Stoke. Um, which I'm not even sure if it's still running, but it was started by a friend of mine um, who found me on one of the message boards back when message boards were a more active way of communicating surf thoughts and asked me to write and I started writing for him and he got, my very first interview with him was about, I think about a week after he said, hey, can you come on and, and write for me? He set me up for a phone call with Tom Curran and I was sitting in Iceland making the call. It was a really cool intro to sort of surf writing, if you will. And Were you on vacation? I was on vacation in Iceland. Crazy. And um, yeah, so interviewed Tom Curran from Iceland by phone. And then it went from there. I just started writing more and more. He then was uh, trying to, you know, publicize the blog more. So he got an affiliation with what was then EXPN. It was like the um, X... Ex- arm of espn which included surfing and so i wrote a few post contest recaps and a few mid-contest recaps that were published by expn at the point um that were critical of different surfers and you know different things going on at that point in time and then i just kept my own sort of thing running which doesn't even exist anymore i wiped it from the web Uh, in part because I I was getting hypercritical and I I realized I was getting too cynical and it wasn't who I was Um, but I kept that on and and would still do interviews and that's where I started getting more involved with interviewing different shapers and stuff but that that was about the time in life where I um, started falling more in love with getting as many different surfboards under my feet as possible it's fascinating um
0: when you started board Porn, I mean, none of us, I suppose, could have imagined that Instagram would change our culture in the way that it has, and the culture at large, but also surf culture, because surf culture actually exists more on Instagram than a lot of other things I know. You know, Hollywood yeah. loves Twitter, Yeah, let's say, and they use Instagram, but Twitter's like Hollywood and politics and news. Um, so none of us could have anticipated how Instagram has changed the culture, but did you start it thinking it would become a chore, or a job, or...?
2: I didn't, and it's still not a chore or a job. Um, I started it as you know, sort of a fun thing, because at that point I was... It got to the point where I felt like people weren't reading anymore. They liked the pictures, and the things that would get the most clicks were the things with the most pictures. And I realized it was a forum for photos like nothing else that had come along, and just started posting photos of the boards, and, and um, you, you know, very few words needed to accompany them, and, and you're getting attention. Uh, people are looking at them. And if they're interested enough, then they're going to read, whereas I, I just felt like blogs were kind of disappearing. I felt like Instagram was becoming a blog in and of itself.
0: So. Do you remember the first big validation that you received through board porn? Like maybe uh, Kelly liked a post or commented or
2: I, I you know what I definitely screenshot one of the first things that Kelly liked and when he followed me, I thought that was cool, but <laughs> he's um no, he's uh, he's been there from pretty early on. He uh, seems
0: to be early on to everything.
2: Yeah, he's he's just he's got his finger on the pulse. A freak. Have you sat down with him yet? No. We gotta make that happen. I'm dying. Have you <laughs> have you actually met him since yeah, then? Uh, developed a relationship? No, I haven't seen him I the last time I saw him was in person was, I think, at the New York's, um, the, a- I was going to say ASP, it was ASP contest uh, before WSL um, in Long Beach, New York. That was the last time I even saw him in person. You know, he, if he's coming through town, I'm not doing uh, blogs or interviews anymore. Yeah. Um, now it's more just friendly banter yeah. with anybody that's coming through town. And, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I know him, I guess, in a roundabout way through a number, you know, the people he worked with. Right. Uh, Dan Mann is uh, a good friend and he's making boards, a lot of boards for Kelly now that have been great under Kelly's feet and uh, Dan in fact just posted two new boards that Kelly will be oh. taking out to pipe uh, next week. So I feel like he
0: was riding one
2: of Dan's boards when he got injured. He was. He was. Um, although, you know what? I thought he recently said in an interview, I was listening to an interview recently and I think he said he switched, uh, switched boards, but I thought I'll ask Dan. Dan will know best. But he was he was riding that. That's what he was riding at J Bay when it was like, whoa, Kelly's back. He
0: won the first round. Yep. With like a couple of nines or something. It's like, oh, what board is he riding? Yep, that was Dan's. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we're discussing it, it might have he might have been riding a Chris Gallagher when he got. I think
2: yeah, I think he switched up. And I don't happened.
0: remember him saying that, but I do remember seeing both those boards. And maybe the reason why I saw the Gallagher was during the injury.
2: I'm going to assume it can't be a Dan man because I know Dan. It Dan would never make a board that would hurt anyone, especially not Kelly. Wow! Nice save. Nice <laughs> <laughs> recovery.
0: Um, what's been your who's been your biggest validation like since that initial screenshot of Kelly like what's been the biggest validation that's I think, come I Go think ahead. this biggest
2: validation was a negative validation it was um, um, uh, Derek um, Chaz's partner yeah Riley um, Derek Riley did an interview which sounded like it was over drinks with Matt Bialos and uh, Matt went off on me for a few minutes on, on this interview which was released as an audio clip on Beach Grit Randy. This, yeah, well, this goes back about two or three years ago, three years ago, I think. Um, and it was all about, you know, uh, surfboards and arts and crafts. And, it, you know, yeah, you got guys in New York go and you know, wiggle on a wave. And it, it was all He went on for a bit. Um, it's, I'm sure it's still online and still on BeachGrip. But
0: what was the, his criticism? Exactly? His
2: criticism was that the highest, and it's correct. He's correct in it. That the highest form of surfboard shaping is the high performance shortboard, and specifically people that are putting high performance shortboards under the feet of top professionals. Um, so it was more criticism of somebody like me. Not that I'm selling anything. I'm not. This is not a money making venture. Uh, but pushing the boards like that have color, really cool resin swirls but might not be uh, as, as uh, Chris Christensen will also be critical of some of the boards I post saying that they're not symmetrical, um, unintentionally asymmetricals. Right. which in case, some cases are true. But it's again, it's what appeals to me at a moment. Sometimes it's the actual shape. Sometimes it's the... Um, the finish, the the glass drop, the the lamination. Sometimes it's a rapport I build with somebody and it makes it stand out. Kind of like when you meet somebody and you meet a girl, you don't think she's that attractive and then as you get to know her, she becomes more attractive. That. (laughs) Sometimes just building a rapport and, and starting conversations with somebody, you'll see something about something they create that has more meaning because it's like, oh, okay, I get it now.
0: And both those guys were probably speaking accurately in the context that they were having that conversation. But I think they're actually overlooking some of the points sometimes. Like, I talk about wine. Like, I, I like wine and I'm into wine. And I talk about wine with friends. And it's like, sometimes the flawed wines are better. You know, like, Kendall Jackson and Robert Mondavia figured out a way how to make a wine that tastes the same every year, that is predictable, that actually tastes good, so you know you can get it every vintage and expect something out of it and it'll deliver. Well, it turns out agriculture is different every year, so it shouldn't taste the same. But it'll go to a winery, spend time with the winemaker, get to know his dog, his wife comes out, chat with her for a minute, get to know all that experience becomes sentiment. And even if the wine is technically flawed, Like the acid is an imbalance. Or maybe I buy a case this year and next year I buy another case and it turns out they had a lot of rain and there's a rot in the vineyard and I smell the wine and the wine smells musty because of that rot. I still like the mustiness. The mustiness now is charming to me because I know the guy and I know that he struggled to even make this happen in the first place. And the Kendall Jackson and the Robert Mondavi have no personality, no soul, no character because... Yeah, it's technically better, but if I wanted to just drink technically delicious beverage, I would get Coca-Cola because yeah. that that's delicious too. So I get everything that they're saying and there's, there is beauty in the technical refinement, but there's also beauty in the imperfection, in the Cindy Crawford's mole or in the yeah. Madonna's gap in her teeth or whatever it is, you know, like it's all beautiful. And if the boards you're posting, by the way, work... For the vast majority of surfers as opposed to the high performance
2: thrusters that work for the 1% then that's something and also you know what I I completely agree with Matt Matt's right on that I don't don't agree with his criticism of me per se but (laughs) now um, his his assessment about that the the race cars of the surf world being you know the again for the 1% or that is the hardest thing a shaper can try to produce um but I, I, again, the vast majority of people, I, I never asked Matt, but I wonder, and I, I'd love him to chime in at some point, what are the boards that sell more? Are they his domesticated line, which cater to the every man, or is it the high performance short these days? And my, my instant assumption would be that it's the domesticated boards, the wider, um, more volume friendly boards that more people uh, have more appeal overall Um, and then you know a lot of shapers matt included have done even for the high performance line they have the pro measurements pro dimensions and the joe dimensions which usually add about a liter and a half in volume or you know half an inch or an inch in width a quarter inch in thickness stuff like that yeah across the board at the same length
0: Um, what's your policy on using the platform to advertise for brands? I mean, I know, or just period. Um,
2: Yeah, so I don't do any paid advertising. None. um, The closest thing to paid advertising I've done was I uh, posted a board of a friend who I posted his board today, and um, one of his boards today happens to be a New York friend, somebody I've surfed with several times and have gotten to know through this, but has been just such an epic person. And I guess I had posted a few of his boards that were available, and I even said they're available, you know, if somebody was interested, DM him. Um, and somebody did, and he sent me to my the email address that he would submit post to, I had a PayPal payment and he said, that's your commission for <laughs> And it was uh, unsolicited. And I told him you know, absolutely no. And he said, no, absolutely. You've helped me, you know, beyond uh, yeah. words um, in terms of helping get me out there. And it, yeah. it was just such a cool thing. And it, it was unexpected. It wasn't something I asked for, but it was like that. But no, I, I don't take payment when I advertise. It's because uh, the whole idea of this as it's evolved is really just helping out people, helping out the industry helping out shapers, um, certain people you'll see, if you see I post more of them, it's because I just really like their stuff, or I, I in some cases, I really like them as humans, um, and like what you were saying with the, the vendors that you'll get to meet, and it means, it makes it more meaningful overall. Yeah.
0: Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. And it doesn't even mean they're better than a different winer. It's just that's the one I went to and I had a good experience there. You yeah, know, you, can't, you can't do them all. Um, I'm, I assume that companies have contacted you asking to advertise or to promote I, a product.
2: Surprisingly, most of the pure advertising, you know, pay for play advertising, um, Things from companies have been companies outside of the surf industry and they've been um, everything from t-shirt companies to um, jewelry companies like surf jewelry um, to uh, even a sex toy thing, which I think was an errant email that was just for whatever reason, so a board porn and assumed it was something uh, to do with that. That's funny. Did they send you samples? No, I I didn't. I didn't even respond. I admittedly don't respond to any of them because I, I have no interest in getting in a pay-for-play scenario unless somebody offers me something ridiculous and, you know, too good to turn down. But it, Everybody's it just, got a
0: price, Ron. Yeah, Everybody's no, it's,
2: it's just you won't do it.
0: Um, who's been flowing you boards? You said from the early days people offered boards. Yeah,
2: no, some, some people have been really, really good to me. And without, um, you know, outing anybody in particular, I could say certain people that... Um, um, have have just been great to me. I mentioned Dan before, Dan Mann, uh, who's, uh, again, uh, every time I fly to California, he's the first person I meet off the plane, um, go for a surf with him, and he, he has a new custom for me. Um, and that's, you know, so I don't bring a board. I know I'm seeing Dan when I yeah. fly over. Um, so he's been, he's been wonderful. And, you know, now being able to say, yeah, my my shaper shapes for Kelly Slater it feels pretty good <laughs> um it, the others that have been you know so good to me from early on uh, uh, Dane Hans from Vulcan um, who I know you you sat down with he's Dane is just terrific terrific personality one of the hardest working people and and genuinely always trying to push the envelope with new and different and new materials and um, and new designs, and I, I just really appreciate everything he does and everything he's done for me. Um, then going to uh, uh, Matt uh, from Album Surf, has, Matt Parker has been uh, terrific, and I can't help but post his boards from the beginning because they, they're always eye popping uh, the fit and finish uh, to just some of the pure, you know, esoteric shapes amongst his asymmetrics. Uh, so I got to know him early on, and he's always been very good uh, to me. As of a lot of the big brands that, you know, I would say of the, the bigger brands, um, done a lot with Chattel Islands, which uh, I just finished up, one of the Neckbeard 2s, uh, which I've been posting a bunch of, and it will be shipping out to me tomorrow. So
0: so how does that work exactly? They, I mean, what you're doing essentially is reposting, Are you also receiving boards, writing them, reviewing them, posting your own photos of those boards?
2: Yeah, so a lot of it is repost. A lot of it is, um, some of it is, uh, you know, a lot of things I'm just flipping through my feed and I see something I like. I bookmark it and try to remember to go back amongst the million photos I bookmarked to uh, actually post it. Um, A lot of it I get tagged in. So, you know, I'll try and keep up on the things I get tagged in. A lot of things I get emailed. A lot of things I get uh, direct messaged. Um, and then a lot of things I get texted. And so part of it is juggling all of, all of those things. And there, there are so many boards. I mean, so many boards that I, I love and fully intend on posting, sharing. And these are ones just, you know, that I have images shared with me of um, that I never get around to because they just get buried in the digital asset pile um, for history. And I, I always try to go back and dig out old ones, but uh, I got I. I I'm one guy. <laughs> I know. One guy against the internet. So, I know and you said
0: earlier that it's not a chore and it doesn't feel like work, but yeah. the way you just described it feels like a chore to me.
2: Yeah, but you know what? It's my escape. I I work um, you know, work a desk job, uh corporate desk job in Midtown Manhattan and this is my when I can't be in the water, this is my escape because this is the other piece of surfing that I love so much. Yeah. The just yeah. boards themselves and the interaction. Um, can you talk about what you do for work? Uh, I, I, I like to say I'm... Uh, you I, I have no obligation something. to me. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't really like talking about it. That's it's, fine. Yeah. How much time does managing board porn
0: require of you on a daily
2: I looked at you know I was looking at that with one of my coworkers the other day because Instagram now has the thing where you can see the amount of time you're spent on it. Yeah, iPhone day. does itself. Like it's an iPhone does iPhone itself, but Instagram has its own that okay. I guess is more related to your actual. So it, I averaged around three and a half hours a day on Instagram. My gosh, which dude. seems like a lot, but then I realize a lot of it is. It's just I'm leaving it open and it's on my desk and it'll be on an image while I'm on to something else, onto a business call or, or, or working on a, a document or something like that. Um, that same image will be open or I'm on a call and I'm not really paying attention, but I'm just flicking through. So I, I would say probably half of that time is genuine Instagram time. Right. And the majority of that would be during my commute, hour and a half each way. which.
0: That's yeah. right. Yeah. Which we didn't talk about on air, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you commute from Midtown to... Rockaway Beach.
2: Yeah. Right. It's, it's like I told you, it's um, like traveling from one side of L.A. to the other in rush hour. It's yeah. a pretty undesirable commute, but the payoff is you you get home at the end of the day and it's open air. You have the ocean right there on the block from the ocean. Yeah. Um, doesn't help me much in winter when, you know, I'm leaving before the sun rises and getting home after the sunsets. But uh, during the spring and summer and early fall, I could get in before and after work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, does board porn still provide the thrill that it provided? When you started it, or even two and three years ago?
2: Oh yeah, it, no, it does because it's always something new going on, really? and yeah, always something. It, there, there's always pieces and parts moving, new people getting involved, new. Um, it's almost like drama and storylines that come up every once in a while, you know. And it, I often get involved in either directly or indirectly in the background uh, with some of the drama that goes on and it's everything, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it keeps me entertained. Yeah. So, the, which was you know the real reason I got into it in the first place.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get into some of that drama. Yeah. <laughs> um, the past year, there's been a public debate on Instagram. Yeah. Um, about U.S. board builders kind of voicing their concerns about other U.S.-based manufacturers who are outsourcing production and then importing the boards back into the U.S. tariff-free and then making those boards available on a consignment model through retailers. Yeah. What's your take on that conversation?
2: It's a really tough one. I have, I have obviously lots of friends on, on the U.S. board building side of the fence, and I also have lots of friends on the foreign board building side of the fence, including friends that are embedded in Thailand. Um, that are building boards and surfing over there. You know, so that, that people that are involved on the foreign-built side, um, you know, I, I get it completely. You know, when you look at somebody like Daniel Thompson, who was given the opportunity to have his boards, which were high, highly desirable, be offered everywhere in the world uh, for instant gratification for people that wanted to try them, in surf shops everywhere and the expectation of him was you know keep designing keep developing but get out there and surf um who wouldn't turn that down you know anybody who's an avid surfer who absolutely loves surfing and loves shaping and um, somebody tells you listen you design the boards we'll get them all built and you we need you out there surfing refining uh fine-tuning and and getting new boards there travel the world get the brand out there it's a highly desirable job. I get it. I get it. Why people like him would get involved in that. Um, what I, I think it's lost, uh, people lose sight of, is that there are. I, I understand completely. You know the consignment model, how it, it, it screws people that were previously putting boards in shops. People that would you know get ten boards a year or ten boards a season or whatever it is on the rack space in a shop that now is filled with with boards that came from overseas that are on consignment but have you ever talked to any of the surf shop owners what that consignment program has done for them since surfboards are one of the single biggest expenses going into a shop i mean that i ask of you you've been doing the tour now up and down the east coast you'd interface with surf shops what does surf shop say in that Regard. I, I don't interface with enough surf shops to know.
0: Um, no, I have not asked them that. And yeah. honestly, I've only started interviewing retailers on this East Coast trip. Okay. Um, and retail on the East Coast is very different than it is on the West Completely Coast. Completely different. Interestingly different. Yeah. Like, And they carry a lot more local builders. Yeah. So those kind of consignment model, I think, is a lot more prevalent on the West Coast than it is here. Or maybe it's in bigger retailers here. I think retail, small retail, small local retail here is thriving more than it is on the West Coast. But I could, you know, uh, guess what their answer would be. And their answer would be, to your question, would be um, retail is suffering as a whole. Any financial report will tell you that across all industries. And so any way that we can kind of save ourselves, we're going to take you know and and the consignment model makes a lot of sense for the retailer
2: yeah and that's it that's just the problem I get it from a retailer perspective so I get why retailers yes. would do it I understand it from all sides I don't like the fact that it puts any businesses out of work here yeah um, nobody would nobody likes anybody being put out of business especially of friends that are getting hit by this that are, are smaller shapers um, there are certain segments of the surfboard building population that are completely unaffected by this because they're either, you know, they only sell directly and never sold through shops or they're doing something that's so innovative that it's not being copied. It's, it's you know, kind of its own thing. Um, like, it, okay, take the shops like Pilgrim. Have you been to Pilgrim here? In- on tomorrow morning. Okay. So Pilgrim is selling uh, like all handshake boards. Pilgrim was, before it was Pilgrim, was mollusk. Um, so it was affiliated with the West Coast Mollusk Shops. And then they, I guess they were, they split and went a different direction and, and went and became a pilgrim in New York. But if you look at the boards they are carrying, it's a lot of Southern Californian and even Northern California, Danny Hess is in there. Um, um, uh, Mandala, um, Gary Hanell, um, boards like that high end Premium price point boards with uh, some of the best laminations in, you know, or most attractive visually laminations on the planet, and so it's it's catering to a different crowd. I think what's happened is, unfortunately, as more and more boards are being built offshore, uh, even by some that you don't know, realize are being built offshore, it becomes the only cost-effective way to do it for the plain white, you know, uh, high performance boards that were the mainstay of the majority of the surfboard builders out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, it's, look, if this industry is transitioning with Kelly's Wave Pool and kind of the Olympics and all these other kind of harbingers, if it's transitioning into a commercial industry, outsourcing is the first thing that happens look at all other manufacturing industries certainly in the u.s outsourcing happens it's a natural progression if the market demands it right and so if the market wants to support that then we can everybody can kind of figure out how to position themselves in the market to support their client i think the issue is with what you just said there was one sentence in there which was um with some boards that we're not even aware of that are outsourced sometimes you're oblivious as to which ones are outsourced there seems to be a confusion in the marketplace for the consumer to know which ones on the rack are domestically made versus imported because they're not always well identified and some manufacturers are doing almost all the manufacturers are doing a portion of their production in the U.S. and then a portion outside of the U.S., but they sometimes end up on the rack at the same price, not identified.
2: Well, I, I hear that, a lot of dirt being you know in the position I'm in, and some of the dirt I hear, which comes from people who are local handshapers and stuff like that in, in California, I, you know, you start hearing stories about uh, factories just over the border in Mexico right. that are uh, mass-producing boards, shipping them back, and they're blessed in the U.S. so they don't get whatever... Right. Uh, you know, and you, you hear these stories and that obviously has, that's going to have an impact on the local shapers in <laughs> um, the fact that the big brands that very publicly make them overseas, they're not lying to, they're not hiding it from consumers. No, it's written on the
0: board usually on those ones. Made
2: in Thailand. Yeah. And you don't have to scratch very deeply to, to find out where it's made. You wouldn't right. have to, it wouldn't take a big extensive Google search to figure that out. Right. Um, whereas the ones that are made just over the border in Mexico, um, you're not going to find out. Right. And the only people that know are the people that are shipping them, building them and having them shipped in. Yeah. That's it.
0: Yeah. And by the way, none of this implies that one is an inferior board or one is a better board. No. It just... No. Yeah. I mean, you could be making equally good boards anywhere in the world. You could be. I mean, certainly certain countries aren't held to the same, like, environmental, you know, um, like, waste standards and even employee treatment standards and all that sort of stuff. But the board could be the same quality. That's almost irrelevant. The only relevant thing to me is whether the consumer has transparency, really. That's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah.
2: Um, And I completely agree on that. And I, you know, I try to remember whenever I can to say where a board is made. Yeah. Um, You know, in part to help people out so people know locally when I put up a board, um, one of the most common uh, comments in the comments will be, where can I get one? So if I put, you know, made in the UK, they know, you know, if it's a kid in Florida asking where can I get one, he can probably say, all right, this is going to be too expensive just to ship here. let's keep looking and find something more local yeah um but somebody that's sitting in the uk or sitting in wales or sitting in ireland might say oh that's not so far for me um i can grab that you know that's i try to be as honest as possible with the where the shapes are made because it's important yeah it's less relevant when you're talking about you know the, the ones that are mass produced overseas because it's that doesn't doesn't matter where it's made because they're shipped everywhere. There's more of them sold outside of the... You right.
0: Know. They usually have distribution in yep. all main uh, services, uh countries. How many boards do you own?
2: I <sighs> the fifth. No, um, a lot. I don't get rid of many boards. Um, so I, the last purge I did um, was about a, a little over a year ago. I did a purge because I lost 30 pounds and... I had to get rid of the ones that were just too heavy it was kind of like when you lose a lot of weight you get rid of the jeans that fit you when you were fat and th- so they were like the boards that fit me when I was fat and I just had to I had to part ways with them and some of them were really painful some of them I helped because they're you know they're things that I would use more as grovelers so okay. I don't mind the extra um, the, the extra foam extra volume but uh, I own a bunch I'll, I'll say that <laughs> it's
0: three, uh, 30 more or less more 60
2: times no, no it's, it's under 100 it's we'll under 100, 100. Yeah, the under law 100.
0: of diminishing returns has to be at play in terms of a learning curve as a surfer where it's like how many boards is too many to where you're not really dialing in your own craft it's all just you're always on new equipment
2: you know well part of it is that you know I've been surfing since I was a little kid Um, for the first 20 years I only rode high performance shortboards that was it if it it was anything but a high performance shortboard if I saw a guy on a fish if I saw a guy on a log if I saw a guy on anything else it was like why are you wasting your time on that until I started wasting my time on it and then I found out it was one of the best time wasters ever and I get more joy out of You know, occasionally I'll want the reliable board where it's good, the conditions are good, which is rare for here. And I want something that I know will feel reliable under my feet and I won't have to take that multi-wave adjustment period that I have to take. But when it's garbage, like it is 99% of the time here, not in the photos you see on on Instagram or, um, you know, too often the photos you will see on Instagram are from a swell from two years ago or something like that. Where people, if you really read the the, um, the hashtags, you'll see you know throwback Thursday or or something like that or take me back. Ninety nine percent of the time, the waves are crappier. Yeah, it, it's like a giant lake. If you look at our um, surf report for the next week, it is flat. It is flat like a lake, literally like a pond, which California just doesn't get. Like that. Southern
0: California doesn't really. Oh, no, no. Yeah.
2: Even if it's flat, you go to Blacks or something. Yeah. Um, so, it even, I like the feeling of when it's crap, just taking out something I've never written before or only written once or twice and feeling it out and trying to find, you know, and so often you think I should have taken something else out. And then on the third wave, it's like, oh, no, I took the right board out. You know, this is why I took this out. This is why. I put this under my arm today. So
0: it's. Well, space is at a premium in New York. And I guess you're in Rockaway, so yeah. slightly, maybe a little I have more a space. house,
2: I have a garage. And all of that store and office. I have, an, I have an office, yeah. And wow. the, the r- rule um, is that no boards are allowed to spill over into the house okay. as long as they stay in the garage and office. And okay. Yeah, so I, it's does, a matter of stacking.
0: <laughs> does anybody in that office, of which we will not name, Oh no! I mean my home office. No, oh, yeah, oh okay, my home well, office. Yeah. Well, back to your yeah. New York office, your yes. uh, Manhattan office. Does anybody in that world know that you're a surf celebrity on Instagram? Um,
2: yeah, but they, none of them surf, so it doesn't mean anything okay. to them. It's like, oh, cool, you have a, a bunch of Instagram followers, Got you know. It. But it's no, they 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 get it that it's you know that it, I'm doing a lot of surfboard related things, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's not as, not the same, you know, it's a different, yeah. totally different world, Cool but they don't.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, first of all, you don't look large enough to have lost 30 pounds.
2: Yeah. I was, I was 193 and got down to 163 and now I'm hovering at 165. How and why? Uh, this, this is funny and it's surf related, you know, and this is great because of the wild number of people I've met through this. Uh, another friend I met through this, um, who's become a real-life friend, is uh, Gianni Almeida. I don't know if you know Gianni. Uh, Gianni, is, um, he was the manager of Surfy Surfy for years. That's right. I know his name. I just don't know. And he was then um, a part owner in Trimcraft uh, and Trim, uh, trim shop, uh, Surf Shop in, uh, with Ryan Lovelace. And he's moved on to other things in his life. He's still involved a little bit in the surf world, but uh, got to know him through that. And, you know, just typical guy conversation would be going back and forth about how fat each of us was. And he went on a diet and he told me how he lost like 15 pounds in a matter of two weeks. And so I asked him what he was doing and I asked him how long he was going to keep doing it. You know, how far, what are you looking to go down to? And he said, I'm going to keep dropping weight until I'm one pound less than you so I could call you a fat ass. And so I I asked him more about it and, you know, he kind of walked me through the whole thing and the first few weeks, um, every time I go to the grocery store, I'd call him or text him, hey, can I eat this? Can I eat that? Uh, To the point where he got, you know, he got to the point where he's like, just fucking Google it. (laughs) And um, it's a ketogenic diet. And so I've been like fully keto for two years and change, went off for a couple months and then went back on. I cycle off of it every once in a while. So I cycled off for a week for uh, Thanksgiving, but it's basically high fat, low carbs. Uh, So cut all the sugar from my life. All the bread, the pasta, all the fun stuff, and found new fun in, in all the meat and stuff. I, I was ate. gonna say, not all yeah. the fun stuff, bacon is fun. Oh, bacon's great, yeah, bacon's a mainstay. Red meat around the clock, cheese, yeah. you know, yeah. all that stuff. So,
0: um, did you lose a lot of weight rapidly?
2: Um, it, it was like it did? started and then. It started slow and then it heated up then it slowed down and then it heated up again it goes through stages like you you hit plateaus and it got to the point where all this by the way all that weight loss was with absolutely zero exercise it was all just changing the diet I was probably eating more than ever as I do now but I'm eating things without the carbohydrates so you know turn over to fat burning and yeah so burn through it. Congrats! That's yeah, awesome. no, it's like, good. It's I'm good. gonna
0: I'm gonna hit it hard when I get back home. This whole trip, I've been just absolutely Pinging. gluttonously like <laughs> pizza multiple. Like who has the best pizza? I don't know. Let's find out. And go Let's to eat every single one. All semif- of the pizza, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, we need to rush through the yeah, next yeah, no year to hit our next appointment. No but um, whose boards are your favorites? I know you so don't want to pick hard. favorites,
2: but you got you got to. So hard, um, or yeah. So, so the tried and true, the ones I go to when I, you know, when I don't know what the conditions are. But the, ACI yeah, it changes. I don't have anything anymore. Maybe even a few years ago, I'd have certain ones that I would ride till they, you know, were pretty beat up. But now it's I'm constantly changing. You know, part of it is I try to make a conscious point to every single time I go out, um, take something different than the last time and so if i have a board i'm going through a period a love period with i'll, I'll use it every other session but i won't use it every session okay uh, because i want to make sure i, I use other things in rotation so it, it's so hard because there's so many good boards because the boards i'm getting sent to me it, i don't know if they're getting extra love i mean all the shapers are great anyway but <laughs> they're well, just so good i knew you weren't going to give me a straight answer so i yeah. prepped
0: a secondary question okay. which is the favorite boards that you've ever owned name two or three that were like the highlight boards that you've owned
2: oh okay so one of the, one of my favorites has been a, a custom I got from Dan Mann um, which I'll send you a picture of it's uh, it's a side cut wide round tail it, it's like picture are you familiar with any of his boards like the mm-hmm. potato boards so picture one of his potatoes with mm-hmm. deep side cuts but it's still got that Fat, fat tail, round tail. Um, but what he does is he drops the tail down to, like, wafer thin, so it has real bite, and it acts almost like an extra set of fins on turns. Um, Hyper responsive, even though it looks like a groveler, it grovels amazingly, but it really worked and and turned up in good waves as mm. well. So it was. it's like a 5'2 uh, by 20 by two and a half in the middle, but pretty foiled on the rails. And as I said, the tail foils down wafer thin. That board I used for like, there was there was like a, you know, even with all the boards I was using it like nonstop or or every other session for a good year period mm. and have had other iterations of that. And Dan and I even talked to one of the next ones I get from it might be another iteration of nice. that board. So.
0: Well, with all this access, Yep. and high quality equipment um has your surfing improved Oh it's
2: it's hard you know cuz i've got i've aged also <laughs> but you've lost weight is it you know it's one of those things and i i want to comment every time people say something like oh kelly never looked so good as when he was on channel islands it's like well kelly was much younger when he was on channel islands and you know at a certain point there is there's, there's Equipment can only go so far um, in terms of your performance. You know, nobody's performing. Nobody in their forties is performing like they did in their thirties. Other than okay, other than maybe Kelly. Um, you, nobody. It just doesn't work that way. So, I try to think. You know, I I still have days where I go out and it's like, okay, that was one of the best sessions of my life. And then I'll look back at stuff where I thought I was surfing good and I was more jittery in the past you know when I was 10 years ago or or 15 years ago I'll look at videos or something that I find that you know in my uh on my computer that I think are going to you know be the good old days and I'm like oh actually I've smoothed that out a lot more um you know you work on things more and and I think part of that is just swapping boards all the time it makes you learn um your, your feet just get more sensitive to it overall
0: totally agree That's been my experience, too, is as I've gotten older and my athleticism has diminished, my fundamentals have actually gotten more secure. So it's like I was, like you said, jittery in my 20s, but maybe I did it air reverse. And in my head, all that I remembered was the air reverse. So it's like now I'm comparing an air reverse to not doing one now. That means I was better in my 20s. No, no, no. Actually, I'm way smoother and I'm linking way more surfing than i did when i was young yeah but i don't have the air reverse anymore you know or whatever i only yeah. did like one air
2: reverse in my life that's why i'm playing <laughs> that right now i have a few on video and my older ones are better yeah. um yeah they're they're like micro airs but yeah, they're still do. um i you know i was reading uh, I, I love what shane beshin does it's so good I mean, it's like the best it's one of the so best so things good. around and i'm I always reading it guy. and then it's like i want to try it and then i look at the new york surfer cast and it's like Oh, there might be waves in a week. You know, might be a wave that you could get out in a week. So it's like you can't even try all these things that he's pointing out. But he had one the other day where I guess Felipe uh, Toledo sent him that clip. And did you so read it? Good. It was just so good where he said he tries to minimize movements. And, you know, that's one of the things I try to work on where it's like, OK, don't wiggle, don't pump, drop in, you do draw out a bottom turn and hit the lip. Um, you know, and that that's... God, he's great. So good. <laughs> I want him as a coach. So good. I told him, I said, I wish I could afford to like fly him over here and, and keep him. Or even afford his hourly rate to have him coach you. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good enough. Uh-huh. Um,
0: what What final question, obviously, for everybody interviewed is just what was the last board that you wrote?
2: Oh. Um, yeah. So the last board I wrote was an album. It was an album A-Sim. 5-5 uh, al- album Dis-A-Sim, which is um, it's like one of the planing hall looking, you know, for shortened nose um, ASIM that uh, Matt Parker makes uh, that is, oh, it's just such a good board. It just feels so natural. And, it, it, you know, it was, it makes you realize how symmetry isn't the most important thing by far. (laughs) You know, I, I just had a really, really fun session on it in the junkiest surf possible where we we were in a deep fog the other day, uh, Sunday it was, and couldn't even see, you know, what the waves were doing. And I, I just grabbed that off the rack, and it, it just feels so natural. It's just such a good board.
0: Good. Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed Carl Ekstrom a long time ago, and he told me a quote that he heard from Pat Curran, or Pat Curran told him, yeah, which was, Nobody's ever made a symmetrical board.
2: That's true. You
0: know? And it might be not as true now with machines and stuff, but certainly in Pat Curran's era, it was true, you yeah. know? And uh, so the fact that you're even trying to claim that or work towards that is almost a futile effort, you
2: know? Well, you start seeing it, and it also makes you think because the fins I'm using weren't meant for that board. Um, so I'll use different fins in at different times. Now I have a fin set I love. Ryan Lovelace does an ASIM set that is just great if you're playing around with ASIMs. It's just such a good universal shape for ASIMs. But yeah, it's, um, it, it makes you realize uh, everything you thought was important is not. Yeah, it's fascinating. Right on, Ron.
0: Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Cheers, dude. Great catching up.
2: Yeah.
3: See, you got your secret on. You say.
0: Instagram is, of course, the account that you can see all of Ron's work. I've also got a link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with everything that we discussed in this show. Major thank you to Ed Thompson of Ice Cream Headaches, that book, along with his partner, photographer, Julian Rubinet, You can peruse on our website as well, and then I link to their Amazon listing of it for you to be able to purchase with ease well worth checking out so do that and uh, thanks for supporting the show as always the best way to do it is simply by telling friends share the show with friends either tag them on instagram send them a link to the website review the show on itunes that helps strangers find it the larger audience that we have the more likely we will be able to attract a-list guests as ron said kelly slater being the uh, the ultimate goal here So thanks for doing that. And then, of course, you could support financially via PayPal button on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks so much. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. Until then, this is David Scales reminding you to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred on.
3: You can never be never never, be never